Hello and welcome to the FSF and Tapestry podcast. I'm Jules and today I'm with Ben and we're joined by Jem Hubbard. Um, so hi Jem, it's lovely to have you with us today. Hello, thank you very much for having me. And um, our first question is all about our guests. So can you tell us about yourself and the work that you do? Yes, so my name, as you know, is Jem Hubbard aka Wheels No Heels. Um, I am a disability lifestyle vlogger. My main platform is um, Instagram, YouTube, and then I also do TikTok and Facebook as well. On there, you'll find lots of videos about my life as a disabled person, some of the barriers that I face. I also um, make videos on kind of how-tos, like um, I do a lot of um, videos on how to choose wheelchairs, looking out for the best kind of mobility products for your specific disability. Um, The world of wheelchairs is actually very in-depth and quite complicated and everyone is so, so different. And so choosing a wheelchair can be quite a minefield, especially if you're new to it. Um, I kind of started um, my channel at a time when no one else was online doing disability lifestyle. And it was kind of my main focus to kind of help others feel less alone um, the way that I did when I was growing up. So I suffered um, a spinal cord injury at the age of nine um, after heart surgery complications. Um, And back then, sort of in the mid to late 90s, there was no one in the public eye with a disability that I could identify with Um, and I felt very alone and very lost and sort of had no identity for many years and I just felt like I never belonged anywhere Um, but something that I really wanted to do in that period was um, become um, a television presenter um, because there was no one like me and so I wanted to be that person Um, and you know life and everything kind of takes on and takes over and you know I got married and had a daughter and started working and all of that jazz um but it was always in the back of my mind to do television presenting I've been very theatrical very sort of you know loving that kind of (laughs) that you know media um and but nothing really came of it until uh 2010 when I entered a competition to become um a television presenter for the London 2012 Paralympic Games, where Channel 4 wanted at least 50% of their presenters to have a disability. And I got down to the final 12 and I went and had um, presenter training for a week. Um, And it was, I mean, I learned so much and it was actually that period when I was with 12 other people with disabilities was the first time I'd been in a room and not been a minority and belonged and it's very very strange really to kind of realize that and feel that Uh, but it was an amazing sort of life changing life kind of changing direction um moment where as I said I learned so much which I now kind of put into practice um on my social media so obviously the television presenting didn't quite work out um when we did a simulation of um live television presenting and they asked me they said well we're going to go live to gem at the botches um pitch <laughs> and i was like i don't know <laughs> <laughs> so 
I don't think Paralympic sports was really my thing. <laughs> um, that, as I said, I learned so much um, about presenting and you know, you know, conducting myself on camera. And um, that, yeah, I just um, after that kind of started dabbling in social media, and that's how it happened, and that's how it all started. Wow, it's such a, an interesting like journey to get there as well. I mean. And what an opportunity, as you say, to to take part in that the 2012 Paralympics as well. Um, one thing I just got from that is the impact of that representation for you yourself, and how you know, as a when you were a child, you felt very alone and you didn't have anyone else to sort of who was representing the same. Um, what is the impact of representation on children and adults for those with or without a disability? Do you feel? I think it's very important and I think it's it's huge. I mean, you know, I've just said, you know, I was in a very, very dark place when I was growing up um, and had no sense of belonging or identity. Um, And it's it's really important. And I'm glad you said for disabled people and non-disabled people, because um, I think, well, people with disabilities are one of the biggest underrepresented minority group that there is and slowly we're starting to see more and more Um, but there are still so many barriers that disabled people face so many stereotypes as well and I think that by having disabled presenters disabled influencers disabled models it shows non-disabled people that people do exist (laughs) of all different ages shapes sizes creeds you know um and i think it helps to kind of bridge that gap between disabled and non-disabled people i think quite often non-disabled people are a little bit um scared to approach disabled people or they're scared of saying the wrong thing um but i think you know i was watching really i was watching the travel program on the bbc the other day um with steve brown who is a disabled television presenter he excuse me he's got um, a spinal cord injury, I believe. Um, And he was just showing himself, you know, going around Japan and Japan's not particularly that accessible. Um, But I thought it was really interesting and great for him to show people how hard it was for him so that people can realise. Because I think sometimes another thing that really annoys me is that non-disabled people think that these disabled people have like these luxuries when really... It's not a luxury to have, you know, an accessible bathroom. Access is not um, a luxury. It's it's a human right, you know. Um, so I, I I would like to think that it bridges that gap. And then again, for disabled people, um, if you know you, you do become disabled, all of a sudden your life changes and you potentially don't know any disabled people. I'm not going to lie. Before I started doing my work online, I probably knew one disabled person in the world. (laughs) Um, And, you know, you're very alone and very lost. And, you know, there's not always support and funding available to people who have, you know, um, know, some sort of life changing um, disability or diagnosis. I think looking at that is why representation is important (laughs) yeah definitely and i think i've been looking at your um your youtube um uh channel and it's been really interesting for me to see like there was one about the aisle chair on the plane 
Mm. And I found that like I'd, mm. I'd never heard of that, but it's also something I'd never really considered, you know, as someone without a disability, it's not something I'd ever considered about how you would get from your chair to the air, airplane chair. And so seeing that sort of helped educate me. So as you say, it's that, that part of bridging the gap is really important as well. Um, and, you know, Ben, as you know, we were saying um, how non-disabled people can see these things as benefits for disabled people um, or luxuries. You know, I get to board the plane first, but clearly there's a reason because getting in an aisle chair takes time. And then I've got to get to my seat and put my my bags up in the overhead locker or get someone to do that for me. And in that bag is essential medical equipment, not just makeup and hairbrushes you know yeah. <laughs> and duty-free <laughs> <laughs> um Gem, i was just reflecting as you were talking then we've been thinking a lot around um uh, education um obviously um this is an education podcast and we've been working a lot on um reflecting on the kind of language that is used around children with learning differences and disabilities around um, education and this concept that we've been thinking about a lot that and, and I'm just reflecting what you've just said around um, those adaptations that need to be made so that we actually all have we all have the same basic needs, you know, we all need to sleep, we all need to eat, we, we all need, we all, it's the, it's, as you said, it's, it's everybody's right to be able to access certain things. It's the, it's the, it's the adaptations of, and the access that, that needs to be adapted um, to meet everybody's needs. And I think you, when, as you were saying then about, you know, having an accessible bathroom area or needing to get on the plane first, those adaptations, are really important um, but it's also important in the language that we use particularly you know around children and around adults that we're progressive in that language and we don't you know we don't we don't ignore the fact that actually everybody's needs are there we all have needs and a lot of them are the same needs basically those those basic needs um, and that leads me on a little bit to the next question which is what should people without a disability, especially those working with children with disabilities, reflect on in their interactions with children and their families? With regards to the language that people use, um, the disabled community get very frustrated. Uh, when I say the disabled community, a large proportion of the disabled community. Obviously, there are other people with different views, um, but a large portion of disabled people do get quite frustrated with some of the language people use. For example, we don't, when I say we, I know it's me personally and a lot of other people, I don't speak for every single disabled person. I think it's important for me to say that. Um, but the terms such as special needs that is a term that non-disabled that non-disabled people use and disabled people don't tend to like that much because what is a special need if, as you said everybody has needs and when you are referring to someone with a disability and you're calling it a special need special that is a word that is quite glamorous and you think, oh, is, you know, to be coveted and liked and adored, you know? But these needs that we have are not special to be liked, coveted and adored. They are 
needs that level the playing field for us referring back to the aisle chair there's nothing special about that (laughs) you know um and having a bathroom that's big enough with handrails that's not special so I think language is really important and I really wish that we could change the word special needs um, within the education system because I I personally can't stand it and also when you go to the airport it's called special assistance and again it's not special um that and also another one that we um get very very frustrated with is um differently abled um we're not differently abled we're disabled and there's nothing wrong with using the term disabled and i think a lot of um people within the non-disabled community get a bit awkward around that word and they may be unsure as to what word to use and I completely understand that. And I think when you use the word disabled, dis is always seen as some sort of negative part of a word when actually it's not. It, we are disabled. I am less able in some ways compared to someone who is uh, not disabled. Um, but by using those words differently abled or specially abled or otherly abled, I've even heard. Um, you're kind of wiping away someone's identity. And I struggled with with my identity for so, so long. And then for people to try and come along once I have reached, you know, a really good place in my life and try and wash that away is very damaging. And especially to children as well. But one thing, my parents were very good and would always use the word disabled, never used the word um, special needs or anything like that when I was growing up, which I think helped. Um, yeah, so I think language is very important to consider. And, you know, um, that yeah, there is nothing wrong with being disabled and embracing that, you know. I think that's something we've talked a lot about as an education team um, at the FSF and we you know we've i think jules will agree that we we've moved away from special educational needs and things like that and we use additional needs now because they're not special as you say it's an additional need for that someone may have Mm. Um, yes yeah i would say that that's a much the way of putting it Mm. yeah and sometimes we we, we've heard you know the the term as well additional support Mm. because it's the support that Again, the adaptation is in the provision, if you like, when we're thinking about children, particularly yeah. we talk about provision for children in, in educational settings. Mm. And it's that bit that's adapted. It's the support that's the additional bit, um, if you like, perhaps depending on what what um, what will work best for them. Yeah. 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 Language is a very powerful thing, isn't it? Very powerful. And, and, whilst, and whilst we're talking about the language, do you feel that there's enough education around disability taught in schools? Do you know, Ben, I'm going to be honest with you, I'm a bit out of touch with the education system. My my daughter is in school. um, And if I am going to base on what I have seen my daughter learn about in school, she's now in year eight. Um, I think I've probably seen one tiny sentence about um, ableism um, when they were learning about 
um, kind of like discrimination and things. Um, and my daughter was one of two in the whole of her year to choose the word ableism to kind of talk about, which was literally a sentence. And that's as far as I think the um, education around disability went. There might have been a little bit more mm-hmm. that I'm not aware of, but is there enough? I mean, from what I've seen, I would personally like a little bit more education. Um, And I think, you know, Gen Z are pretty amazing. And, you know, they they are being brought up in the social media age, which has just been fantastic for marginalised groups and getting the voiceless heard, you know. Um, And there is such a wide network of being able to educate yourself on there. Um, and I think it's really important for this generation to learn as much as possible. And um, yeah, I think I think there could always be a little bit more. I think they do, they, they're going in a, in a better way than our generation. Yeah. Um, but I think there could be more. Mm. We um, think a lot, reflect a lot on the early years, don't we, Ben? The early years of education and, and the kind of, Uh, Obviously, that's a very resource rich time of learning um, in a nursery setting or an early year setting. And um, we often think about how much more representative um, resources right at the beginning of your your development and your learning could be Um, the books the little figures that the young children play with in their small world play. Um, You know, there are so, I mean, that's just two small examples, but um, there's a lot of work to be done, I think, in in that area, particularly, so that they can begin young uh, to Mm. to see that representation. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Um, My, um, I bought Daisy some books, um, but I have seen... sort of in the last 10 years books have become even more inclusive than when you know she was first born and I was first buying her books and you know look I've got um I'm holding here wheelchair Barbie wow (laughs) which I think is a fan you know brilliant (laughs) a fantastic toy for children to play with um you can also get Ken and uh, she comes with her own little ramp and you can I also saw that there's Build-A-Bear um who's got little um disabilities and Barbie have also bought out the first doll with hearing aids and I think you know from an, uh, an early age playing with toys like that in a very inclusive way not leaving wheelchair Barbie out and including her you know you are learning about the disabilities and you're sort of bridging that gap and that kind of awkwardness around mobility aids and things yeah um you mentioned near the beginning of the podcast the how-to videos and i just wanted to ask you um Mm. to tell us a bit more about what prompted you to begin filming the how-to videos um is there any specific how-to video that you can think of right now Oh, there's so many that I've <laughs> so, I mean, putting I think, you on the spot. Yeah. Oh. I I think I mean go back to what you said about the um the wheelchairs, um, how to choose a wheelchair. And I think having mm. that resource mm. for someone to refer back to, I think that to me, mm-hmm. as you say, there's such a, a wide variety of things and 
that people can have. So I think something like that to me, it, it's kind of like what you see on social media, as you say, it's a review of these things and how to choose these, the, the product and just having someone to sort of help you with that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm, yeah, I think, I think quite often, you know, if someone has suffered a spinal cord injury, you're faced with a lot of people who are non-disabled people mm-hmm. who, yeah, who are non-disabled people. Um, and they're telling you, you know, have this wheelchair, do the, you know, and sometimes, you know, accepting of a, being accepting of a disability takes a lot of time. And in that early stage, you're thinking, well, why do I want to listen to you? Or you would rather listen to someone who's gone through it. Mm. Um, who can who can talk you through and actually has lived experience of something um so I wanted to kind of be that person that you know can level with someone and kind of maybe take the um if you're seeing someone actually using something mm-hmm. who's smiling and being nice about it you know quite often people are very um, awkward around wheelchairs and they see it as a very negative sad thing when in fact it's not it's a liberating amazing tool um, to get you out the house and live the life that you deserve to have I've also done videos on how to transfer out of your wheelchair which is you know is actually quite a hard thing to do um, if you're paralyzed um and it's quite a major thing to be able to do correctly as well because you don't want to hurt yourself so i've done um transferring you have to do it from the floor to your wheelchair into the bath into the bed and and all places um so that people can see and visualize on how to do it and i had many messages from people saying oh thank you so much for showing me how to get onto the floor from my wheelchair safely um i can now go and enjoy picnics with my family because not everyone gets the rehabilitation that I had. So there is that resource there for free online for people all over the world to watch because you've also got to remember, we are fantastic that we have the NHS here, but in other countries, people aren't so fortunate. Also, I think going back to that, supporting people who are maybe going through it for the first time, um, the ones where you traveled, I think, you know, going to, um, I can't remember where it was that you went to America on your own. And I think just going through that journey just shows people the steps they may have, because it's something that you could possibly, you know, I know I would feel anxious about that because I don't know, you know, when I get to America, am I going to be looked after? Am I, what am I going to see? Am I going to be helped? Things like that. But having your lived experience and that video taking you through that, I think that's really good. Thank you. Yeah, it, I, I'm another way that I look at it is that I make videos that I would have wanted to see. Mm. <laughs> um, and I think that, yeah, that, and I think that, yeah, I think having those videos that you want make them sort of more appealing to others because there will be other people who are feeling exactly the same as you. So I think, yeah, and and thinking about. Um, sort of like the the trips that you do and you do the videos what are the key things we need to do to improve accessibility for all do you feel i think having the right resources available so if you go online and you go and you look at a restaurant's accessibility or 
a travel company's accessibility guide to see how wheelchair accessible it is. You can never 100% trust it. So I think consistency is a massive thing that would be really helpful. I would love to be able to trust Google and and Mm. say, yes, we're wheelchair accessible. But the amount of times that you turn up to a place that's wheelchair accessible, I put inverted commas in the air here, um, and it's just a small step. <laughs> but that small step is massive <laughs> to some people. It might only be a few centimetres high, but not all wheelchairs can jump a few centimetres. Um, so I think consistency like that could help. Um and yeah and also making sort of non-disabled people aware of why these um excess needs are put in place so why we have an accessible toilet and why if you don't have a disability you shouldn't use it Mm. and and again that stems back to um education doesn't it yeah so yeah Jen, moving on to um, your work with brands and organisations, we wondered what do you look for in brands and organisations when you collaborate with them? Um, That's a really, really good question. And I have actually been reflecting on that before you even sent that to me um, because it's taken me, I've been doing this nearly six years and it's probably taken four years maybe four and a half years for brands to actually work with me and work with disabled influencers and actually see the huge benefits of being inclusive and working with disabled people. Um, Before that, no one was really interested, even though I still had a relatively large following. (laughs) Mm. Um, And when I when I first started to get job opportunities, I wouldn't really look that much into the company. I would just be absolutely flattered that someone wants to work with me. And I would, you know, just be very, very proud and just go for it. But now I think you have to be really, really careful because quite often companies will choose disabled influencers to work with just for the fact that they are disabled and they're going to get eyes on the screen, not because they want to actually be inclusive. My saying is, if you're going to be inclusive, you have to be inclusive. So if I'm going to do work for a brand, I need to make sure that they are ticking all of the are their shops accessible for my customers? for my followers if they actually want to physically go in there then you have to look and see if there has been anything negative about that brand um, in the past I was trying to get um, a brand deal with Abercrombie Abercrombie and Fitch I think it was um, and there's been a recent documentary on Netflix about them so <laughs> I was like I think we'll hold fire with that one because you don't want to really associate yourself with you know, a brand that may have been negative towards people with disabilities. They also had a lawsuit filed against them for a girl who um, had limb loss. Um, But that's another story that you can Google. So that wasn't the right brand for me. So I do like to kind of do a little bit of due diligence where I can um, to make sure that the products are ethical, safe for people, um, and they are 
truly being inclusive where possible. And and thinking about the brands you have worked with, what changes have come about from the work that you've achieved with them? Sort of, um, yeah. So, what sort of changes have you seen, or have you been able to work with them on? Um, so, one example that I can think of, I worked with a very very large um, organisation. <laughs> in the UK for people with disabilities, um, very, one of the biggest. And they wanted me to create some content that they were going, that I was going to send to them and they were gonna put on their social platforms and edit themselves. And I did that and then they sent it back to me for me to approve um, and they hadn't captioned the video. Mm-hmm. And if you, <laughs> That excludes a lot, a lot of people. And that is such a massive bugbear um, of mine is when brands don't caption their videos. Um, And this is a disability organisation. So I said to them, you know, you haven't captioned your videos. Probably just a small oversight. It was kind of in the early days. Um, And yeah, so since then, they have captioned their content. So I like to think that that is a change of positivity that has come about. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Gem, that's that's all our questions. Thank you so much. Ah! (laughs) No, thank you. It's been great fun. It was really really interesting to talk to you. And I think, um, yeah, there's a lot to reflect on there for everybody. Um, as well so we really appreciate you joining us yeah. this morning thank you thank you, thank you for having me